zero. Welcome everyone to session number four of our Roots series, um, The Appointed Times. I'm glad you're here tonight. Are you learning anything? I hope you are, because I am in the process of teaching it. I'm learning too, and um, let's pray. Father, we ask you tonight to open our minds to understand the Scripture. Tonight we'll understand why that is so important as Jesus uh, does that literally to his followers, opens their minds to understand so that they might know him, so that we might know you. So Lord, may your spirit uh, accomplish his purpose tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. These are the rules. Why did he have rules? God was going to move among his people. And for him to be able to live among the people, there had to be rules, or his holiness would end up destroying them. These are the rules that he established with Israel. Rules, laws, that would allow the people of Israel to live in the presence of God, to experience God, God with us. Leviticus 23, the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed festivals. That's where we're getting our series, the appointed times, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly. 1,500 years before Christ, God sets appointed times. Not man. Moses didn't do it. Moses just carries them out. These appointed times are part of God's Word, and they are each one revelations of more than dates from the past. All of God's appointed times, and I'm hoping you're getting this as we go through here, all of God's appointed times uh, have an impact on the church. In fact, all of God's appointed times reveal the head of the church, Jesus, even though these appointed times were set 1,500 years before his birth. We've covered the Sabbath. What did we learn? Jesus is the Sabbath. He is our rest, our completion. We, he, Jesus, we covered the Passover. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Last week, we talked about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He is the bread from heaven without yeast, without sin. Do you see all of them, what are they revealing? A date? A festival? No. That, they did reveal dates and festivals, but what were they really revealing? The person of Christ. So now, tonight is the Feast of Weeks to Pentecost. I want you to get this. It, it's, a, it's a period of time. Um, it's the Feast of Weeks, uh, the Feast of first fruits that will lead up to Pentecost. Um, which is also directly connected to the appointed time of Passover. They're all linked together, okay? Some people consider these two different appointed times, first fruits and Pentecost, or it's called weeks. I'll show you why. Um, but for the sake of this study, we're going to consider them to be connected. Um, we're, going to, we're going to count them as one, even though some people count them as two. You, you'll see why I do that. Because first fruits and Pentecost actually, and I'm going to read it, are one appointed time marked by the counting of the Omer starting on the Sunday during Passover when Jesus rose. So it's during Passover. And Sunday in Passover was Resurrection Day. You with me? He, it's, it's during Passover, um, and it's a Sunday, and that's the day he rises. And it ends on Pentecost uh, Sunday, 50 days later, when the Holy Spirit came and the church began. So there's 50 days inside of these two Jewish appointed times. The counting of the Omer is the, is the counting off of the seven weeks plus one, which is Sunday. Here we go. Leviticus 23. From the day of the Sabbath, the, from the day after the Sabbath. What's the day after the Sabbath? Sunday. 
what happened on that Sunday that we're referring to? The resurrection. What was the resurrection? First fruits. Okay? Jesus rose on first fruits. So on the day after the Sabbath, so we're going to begin with the day after the Sabbath, Sunday morning, Mary goes to the tomb and it's empty, right? From the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain to be lifted up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks. Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath. So now we're at 49 to the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days later. Then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Now this whole festival would be, uh, you're going to bring some grain and the priest is going to present it to God as an offering. Okay, that's what this is going to end up as. And, And I'll show you what it means. The verse... That verse describes the arrival of Pentecost. And it's called weeks because it's seven weeks. Okay? That's why some people call it weeks. Which is the, is the end of the 50 days that began during the Feast of First Fruits, which just so happens to be the day that Jesus rose from the dead. With all of that background, let's first look at the Feast of First Fruits, where it begins and it begins on a Sunday. Leviticus 29, uh, 23, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land I am giving you, and you harvest its first crops. Now remember, this is 1,500 years before the Sunday that Jesus is going to rise. Okay? That, this is what blows the mind. The detail of the Sunday being the trigger is 1,500 years before the trigger is pulled. Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land I am giving you and you harvest the first crops, bring the priest a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. On the day after the Sabbath, what day would that be? Sunday. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest will lift it up before the Lord, so it may be accepted on your behalf. On that same day, Sunday, you must sacrifice a one-year-old male lamb with no defects as a burnt offering before the Lord. You see the previews? They're everywhere. They're all over this. The previews of what's going to happen 1,500 years later. With it, you must present a grain offering consisting of four quarts of choice flour moistened with olive oil. It will be a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You must also offer one quart of wine as a liquid offering. Do not eat any bread or roasted grain or fresh kernels on that day until you bring this offering to your God. Before you eat, You bring him an offering, all right, on that day. This is a permanent law for you. And it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. If you move out of Israel and you live in New York, you you still are held Jewish. You're Jewish. You're still held to this. By the way, they they still celebrate this. Jewish tradition, tradition says... The first fruits was the day that God gave Israel the law on Mount Sinai. So that's how they connected. This was the day Israel would bring an offering of spring barley. Now, it's pretty specific. Barley would be the first crop and wheat would be the second crop. So this would be the, Israel would bring an offering of spring barley, followed 50 days later by an offering of summer wheat harvest. On Pentecost. So the first fruit would be barley. Pentecost would be wheat. Notice verse 14 again. Do not eat any bread or roasted grain or fresh kernels on that day until, until you bring this offering to your God. 
This is also, listen, this is also the basis of what we call the tithe that we give to the Lord as an offering. We give the Lord our first fruits as the church before we, we don't give him our leftovers. We give him our first fruits. Would leftovers be acceptable in this offering of first fruits? No. You, you couldn't give him, you couldn't harvest, and then when you get done, you go take him something. No, he wanted the first of your produce. And, and I'm a firm believer that in the church age, we are to give him the first fruits of our, of our income. Uh, it's our tithe. The term weeks comes from the count off of seven full weeks. The counting, it's called the counting of the omer. Seven times seven is 49. Add one day, which would be the Sunday, and you end up with 50. Deuteronomy 16. Count off seven weeks from when you first began to cut the grain. Here comes the barley. Count off seven weeks until you cut the barley at the time of harvest. Then celebrate the festival of harvest to honor the Lord your God. Bring him a voluntary offering in proportion to the blessing you have received from him. Do, do you see what that is? That's a percentage. Anybody see it? In, in proportion to the blessing that you receive. Everybody doesn't bring the same, the same offering. You got more, you bring more. You got less, you bring less. It's proportional. This is a time to celebrate before the Lord your God as a designated place. At the designated place of worship, he will choose for his name to be honored. Celebrate with your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites from your towns and the foreigners, orphans, widows who live among you. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, so be careful to obey all these decrees. Now, now I want you to understand, this is a celebration. This is not some labor that, oh no, we got to go to the festival. No, it was like, oh yeah, we get to go to the festival. This is a big deal. This is party time. This is when you celebrate the Lord. This is when you, you come with Hosanna. Bear in mind that this is one of the three required festivals for every male in Israel. It's that specific. Let me read it to you. Deuteronomy 16. Each year, every man in Israel must celebrate, celebrate these three festivals. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's what we talked about last week. The festival of harvest, which is weeks, which is first fruits, and the festival of shelters, which some people call tabernacles. We'll get to that toward the end. Each one of these occasions, uh, on each of these occasions, all men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he chooses. But they must not appear before the Lord without a gift for him. You must bring an offering. And all must give as they are able, according to the blessing given to them by the Lord your God. There's the percentage again. Do you see it? It's percentage-based. You give according to what you are able, based upon what you have received. So here comes the question we ask in every session. If all of this is 1,500 years before Christ, and the Jews practiced it, pretty consistently for 1,500 years. What happened when Jesus came 1,500 years later? How did Jesus fulfill first fruits and Pentecost? How, what did he do with it? Jesus rose from the dead on that Sunday in that calendar. He rose from the dead on first fruits. He was crucified on the Passover, buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and rose from the dead on the feast of first fruits. The resurrection of Jesus is the first fruit of God. Now, everybody let that sink in for a moment. From God's perspective, Jesus was the first fruit to God. He's the firstborn, He's the, the only begotten, and He is the first fruit, the first to rise from the dead. The first. Um, he is the beginning. 
But he is not the end of first fruits. Now, this is why we should celebrate this particular festival. He is the, the first to rise from the dead. But him doing it brings others with him. He leads captives in his train, some translations say. In other words, we're caught up with him to follow him into the resurrection. We, we get caught up with him in the resurrection, okay? So let me read it to you. I'm going to read it from the New American Standard. 1 Corinthians 15. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, okay? The first fruits of those who are asleep. Now that asleep is not sleep. That asleep is dead. He's the first of those who wake from the dead. For since a man, for since by a man came death. Who's that? Adam. By a man also came the resurrection of the dead. There's the last Adam. There's Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But you got to be in Christ. You got to get out of Adam and you got to get in Christ. That's what born again means. You got to get out of the genealogical spiritual tree of Adam and get into the genealogical spiritual born again tree of Jesus. Okay, that's what this is. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ, after that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. The resurrection of the last day. Do you get it? It's the resurrection of the last day. Because this is a bodily resurrection. This is not, a, this is not just a, you die and your spirit goes to be with the Lord. This is a bodily resurrection. Jesus had a bodily resurrection. If my, my grandparents who are buried, dead and buried are going to have a bodily resurrection on the last day. You with me? He is the first fruit of a bodily resurrection. And all who are in Christ will experience a bodily resurrection. So you, I know what people are going to say. Then where are they in the gap? In the gap, if you are in Christ, you go to be with the Lord. And, and you're, in, in the, in the, with the, you're with the Lord. Your soul is with the Lord. But your body awaits the resurrection of the last day. It will become part of the first fruits harvest of Christ on the last day. Okay? That's why it says, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And those of us who remain will then rise to meet the Lord in the air. Who rises first? The dead in Christ. We will not go ahead of them. We will not go before them. They, that the, when the Lord returns, he will bring with him the souls of believers who have died and the bodily resurrection will come and the soul will enter the resurrected flesh. And there we, what's it say? And there we shall be with the Lord forevermore. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. That's my hope. James 1.18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That's, that's it. Don't read over that. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. This born, how do you get this born again thing? He chose to give us born again birth through the word of truth. Here it is. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. What gets you to be this first fruit resurrected body? The word of truth. Jesus chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That birth came to the church, guess when? On the day of Pentecost. Fifty days later. To fulfill the shadow of weeks. The shadow of um, first fruits to Pentecost. He, he's the fulfillment of the shadow. Fifty days later. Notice the words of Jesus as he meets with his disciples after the resurrection 
own first fruits. This is before the ascension. This is before Pentecost, okay? So let, let's focus here. Jesus rise, raises from the dead on Sunday. He raises from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits, okay? Now there's a 50 day countdown. And here he is, and he's going to meet with his disciples before Pentecost. Before Pentecost. You, you got to get it. It's before Pentecost, but after first fruits. It's, in these, it's inside these seven weeks. Here we go. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling, uh, were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Now, they're in Jerusalem, okay? And Jesus says, peace be with you. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. What, why? Why are they startled? Why are they frightened? Why do they think he's a ghost? When's the last time you saw somebody alive several days after they were buried? Uh, I've never had that happen. And neither have they. So they're, they're struggling that, that he's here, okay? Why are you frightened? Jesus asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies, as you can see that I do. And he spoke, as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief. Now, I'm going to give some mercy there because I'd see I'd be sitting there still in disbelief too, my jaw hanging open. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. And then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? What's that tell you about this new body? Huh? You're going to eat. Anybody happy about that? Because I am. <laughs> Just thought I should share. Okay. Do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. You know what my favorite food is? Fish. I like this so far. And he ate it as they watched. You think any of them were watching to see if it just went straight through? <laughs> he ate it while they watched. And then he said, here we go. Here's the main point. Here's why I'm reading this. When I was with you before, I got cold chills too, by the way. I told you that everything written about me 1,500 years ago. Everything written about me in the law of Moses. What, what do you think's in the law of Moses? All the appointed times. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. It's unstoppable. Then he did, he opened their minds to understand this. You know why I pray that prayer every time we start these sessions? What do I pray? Lord, open our minds to understand the Scriptures. Because it has to be a work of the Spirit. It's not a work of the Terry, and it's not a work of the you. It's a work of the Spirit. And Jesus says, open the, he, he opened their minds to understand. Because they knew, but they didn't get it. And He said, yes, it is written long ago. What? These appointed times. It was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message, this message, what he was about to hand to his apostles, this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name all over, to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And what is the message, by the way? If you want a clear, succinct gospel message, this message will be proclaimed to the nations. What message? There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And you know what message the church is most reluctant in America to preach today? That one. That there is forgiveness of sins if you repent. But you've got to repent. And what is that message? Were you here last week? It is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
Well, what is the Feast of Unleavened Bread? You have to quickly take the leaven out of the bread when you encounter the Passover lamb. Right? Do you remember the feast? Quickly. Take the leaven out of your house. It can't be any leaven. Leaven is sin. Get it out of the bread. Get it out quickly. Do it with haste. And here he comes 1,500 years later and he says, there's forgiveness of sins if you repent. If you'll take the yeast out of the bread when you encounter the Passover. You are witnesses of all these things and now I will send the Holy Spirit. You know what he's announcing? Pentecost. We're in the middle. The feast, of, uh, of, uh, the feast is happening. Uh, first fruits. But Pentecost hasn't come. So what did he say? You are witnesses of these things. Now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until Pentecost. Until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. There's the, there's the feast of weeks. He's the fulfillment of it, right? That was right after first fruits and Pentecost is coming. Stay in Jerusalem until you receive the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see it? I'm, I'm going to take it to an, another level. Okay, one more. Surely by now you see he's the Sabbath. He's the Passover. He's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And he's the Feast of Weeks. But you would never know any of them if you didn't know he was the Word. He's the Word. When he, un, when, he, when he did something to their minds so that they could understand the Scripture, it wasn't so that they would understand a book. It was so they would know Him. Him. He wants them to know Him, right? Not to know about Him, but to know Him. How, how can you do that? Through the Word. He is, he is the Word. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Jewish feasts. Jesus is the fulfillment of the appointed times. And here's what he said. When I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. This is the Holy Spirit power upon man. When you can finally understand this and you can finally know him through this. It's from the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts records another scene of the disciples with Jesus after the resurrection. Okay? Now, again, we're between first fruits and Pentecost again. Okay? In the middle. Verse 4. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized you with water, but just a few days. What, what's going to happen in a few days? Pentecost. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Now, don't read over that verse. While they're waiting, they've just seen the death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? And while they're Curiously waiting for the Holy Spirit to come in a few days. What's their question? What's their question? Do you, do you think this is important? It, it, I'm going to tell you, it is the most important question for the future. What is it? Has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Has it? No. Is it going to? Yes. But what's going to be between this weeks? I'm going to show you in a minute. It'll be called the church age. It'll be a gap. There will be a gap until the time of the Gentiles is completed. Listen to what he says. They've asked him this question. Has the time has the time come for you to free Israel? They were under Roman occupation and restore the kingdom. Will you be the king of Israel now? No, there's going to be a gap. There's going to be a gap. But at the end of this weeks, yes, he will come. He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. There's the appointed times. 
And they are not for you to know. These are secret appointed times. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you on Pentecost in just a few days. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up in a cloud and while they were watching and they could no longer see him. The power. Let's call it resurrection power. Holy Spirit power would come to the earth in the person of Christ, in the spirit of Christ. Let me say it that way. In the spirit of Christ. And by the way, I want to say that the spirit of Christ is the person of Christ. It's not Jesus Jr. It's, it's Christ in me. Okay? He is the spirit. Okay? He would come 50 days after the, after the resurrection, after first fruits. A power that would carry the church into the future. Did you notice the question? So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him the question, is this the time you're going to free Israel? Jesus did not rebuke their question. I want you to notice, he did not say, that's not the right question. He just said, no one knows the day or the hour. He did not rebuke the question. Instead, he told them about the mission of the church age. Jesus didn't deny that there's a time coming when he will free Israel. He did not deny that there's a time coming where he will restore the kingdom to Israel. He will. After the gap is finished. That won't happen until, here we go, after the church age. The time of the Gentiles. The church must happen first. Verse 1, Acts 2. We're 50 days later after the first fruits. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Let me, let me say this, because uh, I grew up in a church thinking that everybody there that day was Gentile. And boy, was I wrong. I couldn't have been more wrong. There would have been nobody there who was Gentile unless they had converted to Judaism. Why? You would not have been allowed to be there. You're going to see it. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Now these, when I say all the believers, now these are Jesus believers. But it's on Pentecost and they're in Jerusalem. And believers are pretty few and far between, right? This is new. This is all new. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were standing. Now, I forgot to tell you, Jerusalem is filled with visitors. Why? They have to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. It is a required feast. Right? They have to be. So everybody's got to come to Jerusalem to do this feast. They have to. It's required. They're Jewish. So there's all these people there from all over this region. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present, are you, are you noticing? And everyone present, not, not, not just these 12 guys. This thing's fallen on people in, in all around. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by these believers. Now, these believers, there's more than 12. At that point, I think there's 120 of them. And now 120 people are assembled there, believers. 120 Holy Spirit falling upon them, believers, now speaking multiple languages to multiple cultures of Jews. Okay? They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee. And if you know anything about being from Galilee, those are country folks. Okay? They'd be like being from Bertie. 
These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, uh, Phrygia, Phampia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Serene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. No Gentiles, right? Not yet. Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk. That's all. Now, let me ask you just a serious question. When's the last time you ever got drunk and could speak a different language? <laughs> Typically, it's just slobber drunk, and it's not a language at all. What's going on to the Jew first? I want you to get this. To the Jew first. His promise this to the Jew first. What's John chapter 1? He came to his own, and his own received him not. He, his first, to the Jew first. He came to the Jewish people, and they rejected him. But to, any, but to any who have received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Right? There are no Gentiles in this Pentecost event. Not yet. This is the beginning of the church age. But I want you to humbly acknowledge this truth. It began with Jews only. Romans 1.16 Paul said, Paul is a Jew, by the way. He said, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone, everyone who believes, but there's an order. The Jew first, and also, after that, the Gentile. The first Gentiles were converted much later, as Peter met with a Roman officer called Cornelius. And he was a Gentile. And let me read a part of that, Acts 10. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit, what, fell on, what happened on Pentecost? Here comes the, what makes Pentecost Pentecost? The Holy Spirit fell. It just, God descended upon people. He just, he just came upon people. He, he selected people and he came upon them. He entered into them. So here it is much later, much later. Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. That's Cornelius and his family, and I think there were some friends there with Cornelius as well. The Jewish believers, Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles too. Yeah, hallelujah is right. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to them, to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with him for several days. The church age began on the day of Pentecost. 50 days after first fruits. And the church now has been around for some 2,000 years. The first fruits appointed time, it comes in March or April, depending upon the calendar. Pentecost comes in May or June, 50 days later. Pentecost is the ending of the spring feasts. It is the barley harvest that goes to the beginning of the wheat harvest. Um, there is a time gap between Pentecost and the first fall feast. So, everybody pay close attention. This is when it gets deep. They asked Jesus the question, is this the time? And he said, it's not for you to know the time. But he didn't rebuke the question. So, I want you to think about the feast in this way. There are spring feasts and there are fall feasts. And the summer feast, there's a gap. And the gap is when the, the harvest is going to be prepared to take place, right? So there's a gap between Pentecost and the first fall feast, which is called the Feast of Trumpets. That'll be next week's topic, by the way. It happens in September or October. 
So I want you to think about something. What if? What if we right now are living in the time gap between Pentecost and trumpet? What if we, the church, is somewhere in God's prophetic plan between Pentecost, when the church was born, and trumpets, when the church will meet our Lord? Okay, in the, in the gap. Um, I don't have time to go into it. Uh, I did a sermon. I've done it here twice. Actually, it's called The Countdown. If you ever want to go back and look at it, it's on our website, in which I go into great detail about the gap between the 69th and the 70th week of Daniel. Um, it is the difference between 483 and 490. The difference between 483 weeks in Daniel's prophecy and 490 weeks is seven weeks. And I'm convinced that that seven weeks is seven years. And those seven years will begin, I believe, when the gap is closed, when the gap is finished. But there's a gap. Now, you've heard me say many times over the years that if Jesus is the Sabbath, and He is the Sabbath, does that mean that He is the thousand year at the end of the 6,000 years? Is he, from God's perspective, there's 2,000 from Adam to Abraham, there's 2,000 from Abraham to Jesus, and there's 2,000 from Jesus until us, called the church age. There's two, 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 there's 6,000. The, the earth was created in six days, a day until the Lord's like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. And then on the, and on the seventh day, he rested. And for 1,000 years, Jesus becomes the Sabbath upon the earth. Now, there's some people that don't necessarily agree with that. And I'm not saying that, that I'm absolutely can prove that. I'm, I'm saying what if? Daniel's prophecy is very mysterious and revealing. Actually, I can tell you that the 483 years of Daniel's prophecy is quite clear. There's not any dispute about the 483. The dispute is about the gap between 483 and 490. It's seven years. Now, I'm convinced that seven years is the tribulation. And I am also reasonably convinced that that seven years doesn't begin until the church age closes. So, with that, let's move on. Is this time gap between Pentecost and trumpets the church age? The age that will end with the rapture of the church followed by a seven-year tribulation and the second coming of Jesus as King of kings, bringing the Sabbath of God to the earth, which will be the thousand-year reign of Christ. So with that thought, let's go look. Romans 11. Paul is a Jew. Romans is a Gentile church. Paul says, I want you to understand this mystery. It's a mystery but I want you to get it. Dear brothers and sisters, so that you'll not feel proud about yourselves. Let me translate that. I don't want the Gentile church to get arrogant and proud about yourself. Okay? So that you'll not be proud of Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. Okay? And so all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem. He will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this will be my covenant with him. I will take away their sins. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news. But this benefits you Gentiles. Yet... They are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against God, God was merciful to you Gentiles instead. Now, I'm going to ask you, is that the gap between Pentecost? Because See, I think it is. I can't say I'm positive, but I think he's just described the gap between Pentecost and trumpets. Everything, he's going to fulfill everything. Now, I'm going to make something clear. 
I have, ne I have never said, nor am I saying tonight, that Jesus has to return on the Feast of Trumpets. And by the way, the Feast of Trumpets just happened a few days ago. I've never said that. I said this, Jesus will fulfill the Feast of Trumpets. How he fulfills it, I don't know. Will he fulfill the Feast of Trumpets with his second coming, not the rapture? Will he fulfill it with the rapture? Will he fulfill it in another total way? I don't know. He will fulfill it. And he will fulfill the one after that, which is the Day of Atonement. And he will fulfill the one after that, which is Tabernacles. Because he is everything. He is the, the appointed times. They are all him. They are not a reference to him. They are him. He is all of them. So is he the fulfillment? Are we in the gap? Go to verse 32 and 31. Now they are rebels, Israel. And God's mercy has come to you Gentiles. So they too will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who can even, who, could, who knows enough to give advice to him? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Do you know how the book of Romans ends? Paul is a prisoner in Rome. He is free to call in all the Jewish people to tell them about Jesus the Messiah. Remember, this is deep into the church age, many years after the Pentecost event. And I want to read to you the ending of the book of Romans. I read to you Romans 11. So um, the book, excuse me, it's not the ending of the book of Romans. It's the book of Acts, which tells the end of Paul's story, not Romans. It tells the end of Paul's story. Acts 28. So a time was set. On that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus using the scriptures, using the law of Moses and the book of the prophets. Now, now I need to pause. What was, Paul is in the church age. He's an apostle to the Gentiles. What was his methodology to convince people Jesus was Messiah? The Old Testament. Do you see it? What was his tool? The Old Testament. What did he use? Persuade them from the Scriptures using the law of Moses and the book of the prophets. The Scriptures revealed the Scriptures. He spoke to them from morning and evening until evening. And some were persuaded by the things he said, but others still did not believe. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. So, so Paul has spent probably days arguing with these Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, showing them um, the Old Testament and proving that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The appointed times, he's Isaiah's prophecy, he's everything. And then Jesus, Paul concludes, the Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. And when you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened. Their ears cannot hear. They have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. That was Paul's conclusion. This is the end of, the, you know, the recording of Paul's life. He, this is his conclusion. The Jews, they're hard-hearted. They, they can't get it. So here we go, verse 28. So I want you Jews in Rome to know. That's what he said that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it in the gap. Because if you go up to Romans, go back up to the top of that page, he says what? But this will only, this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. What happens then? The door closes.
we're in the gap. I want you to realize tonight you're, you're living in divine appointed time. We're living between Pentecost and trumpets. When the harvest will finally one day be finished. When will the church age come to an end? Acts 1 verse 6. I'm going to repeat it. I read it earlier. I'll read a little bit more of it this time. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men, their angels, suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday, someday, he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Now, where are they when that happens? They are standing on the Mount of Olives just outside the eastern gate of the old city of Jerusalem. And what did they just say? The same way he left, he will return. Have you ever read Zechariah chapter 14? On Zechariah 14, it says, On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. What will be going on when he does? Zechariah 14. What will be happening on the earth? Your houses will be ransacked and your women will be raped. You will be in utter distress. You will think that no one's going to survive. It's during the tribulation. Everything is, seems lost. And on that day, his feet stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the mountain splits. And the topography of Jerusalem changes. And a great valley, a great split will come through the earth. Now, the angels told these men the future. He will return in the same way he left. But we don't know the day. Now, go back to their question. What was their question? Is now the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel and set us free? No, but the next time I will. When he comes the next time and your houses are ransacked and your women are being raped, he will come as king of kings and lord of lords and the army of heaven will turn with him. So one last connection between first fruits and the Feast of Unleavened Bread that immediately precedes it. I hope you're able to get this one. It's a little deep. Jesus is unleavened bread, right? He's the bread of heaven without yeast, the bread of heaven without sin. The bread of heaven without sin. I want you to notice something. If he is everything, if he is the physical revelation of all of the scriptures, when Israel crossed over Jordan, after 40 years of wilderness wandering, and that 40 years of wilderness wandering, what did they have every day? Manna. How much manna? All you could eat. Couldn't get, you couldn't have more than you could eat because it'd rot. But all you could eat, you could eat. You could get your fill. So for 40 years, what did they eat? Manna. Manna. Now, the manna stopped. The manna stopped as soon as they entered the promised land and began to eat the unleavened bread in the promised land. Stay with me. What is it? Let me read it. Joshua 5.10. While the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho. What's that mean? Plains of Jericho. They've crossed over. They're in the promised land. Forty years is gone. They're in the promised land. They've crossed over. They celebrated Passover. Okay? Anybody listening? 
what's Passover? The Feast of Unleavened Bread. So what, what, what comes first in Passover? The Passover lamb is sacrificed. They're celebrating Passover in the promised land. So that's the Passover lamb. And the next day is what? The Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? They celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread, which is the law, right? It's the appointed time. Passover's day one. Day two is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On the very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on that day, on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. So I'm going to ask you, what, what do you see there? I mean, I don't see anything. What, what do you see? The manna stops for Israel after unleavened bread. They ate the first fruits of Cana, and the manna stopped. 1,500 years before Jesus. Is that another shadow for the church? Why did the manna stop? For the church, the Holy Spirit came after the Feast of First Fruits, after the resurrection of Jesus. The physical bread manna, Jesus, stopped. Jesus left the earth. The physical body, Jesus, left the earth. But on Pentecost, the Spirit of Christ came. The church became in that moment, are you ready? The body of Christ. We became the physical body of Christ. I know it's hard to comprehend, but it's His words, they're not mine. We became the body of Christ. We became the temple of the living God. He now lives inside of us. And it stopped on Pentecost. Excuse me. It, it started. The body of Christ comes into us on Pentecost. It stopped when he ascended to the Father. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. All of you together are what? Christ's body. And each of you are a part of it. So next week's going to be the Feast of Trumpets. And... Um, if you knew the calendar this, that we, we celebrate, it's called Rosh Hashanah. It was celebrated this past weekend. Jews all over the earth celebrated it. I'm going to say it one more time. Uh, every year, I, I, I think the gap has significance. Um, one thing that, that I want to share, and, and I always, I'm very watchful on the Feast of Trumpets. I am. Um, but the Feast of Trumpets, he will fulfill it. But there's something interesting about the prophecy. Um, and, and I've explained it here before. When Jesus is in Jerusalem during Passion Week, he says what? You will not see me again until you say, Baruch Shem Adonai. You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He says, the next time you see me, you will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He didn't say, you'll never see me again. He just says, the next time you see me from Jerusalem, you'll, you'll know who I am. You'll say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, rather than crucify him, right? But when, where, what's, the, what's the location of that? He's coming to Jerusalem. So here, here's what I want you to get. One of the reasons why I'm a little bit leery to, to lean on the Jesus coming in the rapture of the church during the Feast of Trumpets is he doesn't come to Jerusalem during the rapture. He comes in the clouds and we leave. He doesn't come to Jerusalem until after the tribulation and his feet stand on the Mount of Olives. So for those of you, and the reason I even do that tonight, I put, wrote myself a note, is for those of you who are depressed and anxious right now because the Feast of Trumpets came and you're still here, <laughs> I want you to kind of lighten up because the reality is that the Feast of Trumpets in, will be fulfilled, well, more than likely, 
be fulfilled when he is in Jerusalem. Because that was the entire prophecy. You will not see me again until you say. And, and they'll be in Jerusalem who say that. Baruch Ababa Shem Adonai. So just in case you're depressed right now because you're still here after the weekend, there's still hope. He could come today. No man knows the day. No man knows the hour. And it's okay. Listen, I want, I want, I want to tell you, tell you this because I've had to tell myself this all week. Um, he is excited that you are expecting him. He is excited that you are watching for him. He is excited that you're a little down because he hasn't arrived yet. So don't you beat yourself up. He is excited that that bride is that anxious for that wedding. He is excited. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the appointed times. Give us strength to hang on, to wait for you. For those who wait upon the Lord, they will rise on wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.